Ghostlight. I'm Layla. And I'm Zach. And today we are going to be talking about uh, auditioning and tips for auditioning. Uh, I think this is really important, especially now that a lot of auditions are happening online. And I think that it's a lot of really pertinent information that is going to make a difference for people who have not really been uh, used to auditioning online. So I'm really excited to get into it. Um, Zach, have you done a lot of auditions outside of uh, working for Green Buffalo? I've tried um, a lot of times with short films or like independent student films, you kind of just have to work with what you have. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as auditioning, you know, I've done the Green Buffalo stuff like we for Spooky, we did our very the second year we did Spooky, we had kind of a very traditional auditioning process where, you know, everybody came in, they read for the parts that we gave them and then we kind of pick dibs on which actors each of the directors wanted. But uh, outside of that, I sent in a video audition for one Green Buffalo play, and then the other one I walked in and I read, and then I was out in five minutes. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, you know, I yeah, I've never really done any kind of auditioning process, really, just because I haven't had the luxury of auditioning people. Mm -hmm. So I've I've been in many audition processes, both as the director and um, as an actor, um, because I've been acting since I was 10 years old. And uh, I mean, of course, it's very different when you're little and you're in school. Um, the auditioning process is a lot more. We need to make sure that everyone gets involved because this is a school show. Um, but some of the schools I went to were actually fairly rigorous in their auditioning process. Uh, whereas other places they were like, yeah, we basically let whoever into the show um, because we want everyone to feel involved. Um, but I remember, you know, yeah, when I was at school, they basically would always give us sides. So like a sheet of paper that had lines from the character, either a monologue or a dialogue. And then we would get a couple minutes to look through it and then you would cold read um, basically just you've read it a couple times you kind of have an, a feel for the character and then you just go in and do something um, and that was kind of the process I had for auditioning for a very long time it wasn't until I left college actually that I started uh, doing auditions where I would have to memorize a monologue and then come in with that monologue and audition it which is a very different process um, I, f I feel like it's a little bit more pressure because it's also a test of your memorization, which right. if you're an actor, you, you need to be, you need to at least be able to kind of memorize your lines. And it's actually kind of interesting because I remember in high school, I, I ended up not auditioning, but I was fairly kind of curious in the process for, for the auditioning for like their, their big play that they had. So I remember mm -hmm. I talked to the drama, t drama teacher and he told me, oh yeah, go online, pick a monologue, memorize it, come in read it we'll cast you so it's interesting mm -hmm. that in college shows it's a little bit you know as you were saying it's a little bit less stressful than my experience with it in high school i mean in college it actually was it was still kind of stressful because even though most shows they would give you a side and then you would come in and cold read at least that was the way i like to run auditions there were some students who would say like come in with a monologue memorized and then we'll go from there but personally, I always liked the cold read. Um, I find that it 
it gives you a really good idea of how a person can think on their feet and read a character. Um, I mean, there are benefits and negatives to both sides of doing monologues, but I, I really found that there was still a pressure while in college because our theater program was pretty big and there were a lot of people who would audition for shows um, who were outside of our program um, because you didn't have to be a theater and performance major to get into certain shows. So we would have a lot of people who would show up to our auditions and it was like, okay, you, you have to be good. Like you have to be better than all the other people who are auditioning because you were competing against, it could be 30, 40 other people. Um, and that was while I was in college. That's not even considering the professional realm <laughs> when you're competing against a lot of really, really talented actors who like, this is their job. That is all they do. They are actors. Um, but yeah, I think, from the perspective of an actor, always remember to slate yourself. That's actually, I think, one of the things that people forget to do the most is, um, so slating yourself is, as an actor, it's when you first um, show up in front of the uh, director that you're auditioning for, and you say your name, who the character that you're auditioning for, um, and what you will be reading, or um, the monologue that you are doing. Uh, so this would be uh, usually if, if you're, you have a monologue memorized and then you're auditioning with that, or even if you're doing a cold read side, like let them know what side are you going to be reading from so that they have an idea and they can look at the text while you're doing it, or they can look at you and be familiar with the words. Um, the more comfortable and the more you have the director kind of have an idea of what you're aiming for as an actor, I think it, it makes your chances a lot better yeah that's an interesting idea like I, I, you know as i said i'm not too familiar with the auditioning process but i only know you know for the most part what i know is like what you see on tv like what you see and mm -hmm. how people act or like how they perceive auditioning in a you know specifically like a movie or show about actors but an interesting thing i actually remember was Growing up, my sister was like, you know those scam, like, if you want to be on the Disney Channel, like, call this number and we'll, like, uh, like see your kids, like, have them come in. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen those? I've never had them. I also was uh, not in the U.S. for a very oh, long right. time as a child. I, I forget about that. <laughs> but they <laughs> had totally the, They were so scammy and predatory. It was weird. But it would be like, oh, yeah, um, come audition your kids and we'll like throw them on TV or whatever. And then when you get in there, it's like, all right. And yeah, you can pay for this acting class for like $500 a week or whatever. Oh Some my crazy gosh. amount. And it was always super predatory. And I remember my sister was like completely crushed when that happened. Oh. Uh, yeah. So it's it's interesting because even then they were like, don't prepare anything. Like we're interviewing and auditioning eight-year-olds who you know, just learned how to read a few years ago. <laughs> so we're going to see how well they think on their feet. Yeah, it, it's, there's so many really interesting ways of going about doing an audition because it, it's very much like if it, it basically is the way that you're applying for a job. So just like going into an interview for a job application, you want to set up yourself in the best way possible. So dressing nice, um, making sure that you look ready 
um, that if you are memorizing a monologue that you definitely have it memorized that you're not going to like stumble on the words because especially if you're doing um, a large audition you might think oh well this is a lesser known monologue so if I fudge a couple words it'll be fine no no you will have people in there who know that monologue by heart who are listening to your audition and who will say oh nope they totally made that up and so just to make yourself feel more comfortable just just definitely go over the monologue make sure you feel comfortable with it practice with other people um i always found that you know in the beginning when you're just memorizing the monologue it's very easy to just kind of send just focus on yourself and not really ask for help but i think it's really good to have an outside perspective watch what you do because you have people who especially if they have an eye for it they can say okay, you looked really tense there, or do you know what you're saying? Like, especially for people who do Shakespeare monologues, the amount of times where I would have friends who would practice their auditions with me, I was like, do you know what this character is talking about? And they're like, not really. I was like, okay, you should know what your character is talking about before <laughs> you go into this monologue. And I don't know how you how you feel about this, but for me, I always tell people, or I, I perpetuate the the myth, I guess, because anybody I've talked to about this for the most part is like, you're out of your mind. Play D&D if you want to prepare for a role and play as the character you're going to be auditioning for. That's an interesting idea. I mean, I don't think that's wrong. The only thing that would not worry me, but I think I think the thing that's hard is if you're doing a piece where it's a brand new. So if you don't really know who the full character is you just have like the monologue that they sent you or the side that they sent you and then you just have to go based off of that right i think could it it is a good way of exploring the character absolutely i think further on in the process that's really great i do worry that for auditions it might be almost too much preparation before you go in because i was going to say one of the other things that is really great for an auditioning process especially if you're auditioning for a very specific piece is the director might ask you to try different things and it might not even be anything that they really need for that specific play they're throwing things at you because they want to test and see how you can absorb information and work with it because as a director a lot of what you're doing is you're asking the actors to try new things, explore the characters in different ways, and how do their relationships work. So it's it's very important as a director who's gone through many auditions, ask your actors to do something different. If they came in very angry, see how they can do this character in a more subdued way. Um, if they seem to be very stiff, give them the opportunity to kind of loosen up a little bit and then try the audition again. Because auditions are really stressful. They are kind of scary. Um, but I, I do think there is something very important about being aware that you are going to be tested in the audition. It's I don't know many auditions where I haven't been asked by the director to try something different um, because they they also want to make sure that they can work with you as an actor um, because theater is very interpersonal, very relationship-based. You want to make sure that the person you are bringing into your show, that you can work with them in a way that isn't uh, filled with conflict. 
and I mean, yeah, you're kind of basing it off of a snap decision of auditioning, uh, but some audition processes take a while that you might audition twice, maybe even three times for a role. Yeah, I've never, like I said, had that luxury too, especially with um, with Green Buffalo shows specifically. We've always had like a great group of people like come in. And it's mm-hmm. always been like one and done where it's like, we know that this is the person for this role. How often do you think you walk into uh, an audition and you're kind of like, all right, I nailed that. Like, this is character is me. I, I'm getting this role. Personally, yeah. uh, that has happened to me maybe twice <laughs> <laughs> where I was like, okay, I got that. Like, I definitely got that. Um, Whereas most of the time I'm like, I did terribly. That was really, really bad. And then they'll contact me and they're like, okay, you got the role. Like, oh, great. (laughs) Um, That was definitely more within college. I think within, uh, um, once I left college, I really wanted to focus more on directing and stage management. So I haven't really auditioned to a bunch of things. Um, I always did here in Buffalo, we do have the, um, uh, the Buffalo theater Alliance, uh, has a, no, sorry. The theater Alliance of Buffalo tab has a yearly, um, in-person audition where all of the directors from a bunch of different theaters, um, come together and they do one large audition. Um, and I did that for many years, for a couple years, um, since I moved here, I think there was only one year where I didn't do it. And yeah, it was, it was intense. I, there was one year when I remember doing it and walking away and thinking I did really well. Like, I'm very proud of what I did in that. Um, I didn't get a role, but it was one of those moments where I was like, I knew for myself I had done well and that made me proud. (laughs) Yeah, that, I, I love that. I, I never knew that they did that, where it's like, what was it? Everybody auditions at once, and they just kind of fill all of the roles for a season? Yeah, it's not, like, all at once, but, yeah, it's over two days, uh, two two days over two weeks. So it's, like, two Mondays in a row, and they audition a bunch of people. Like, it's, th- there has to be, like, a hundred people, at least, that they audition over the course of those two Mondays um, and they have them come in, they do their monologues. And then if they like them, they usually get in contact with them. They maybe do a second round of auditions. Um, It's definitely used a lot for the um, Shakespeare in the park. I mean, all the major theaters, they definitely take people from those auditions, but I mean, that's the thing with Buffalo. And I think any other small theater market is that, it is very competitive because there's only so many plays that are going on. So you might have a very large pool of actors, but the number of shows that are actually happening are quite small. So it, it is pretty tough to land roles, um, especially what are considered like large roles. Um, but I, I mean, I know when I was in high school, I was one of the few people who was like, super into theater so I always went into auditions really excited um really like ready to do it and um I always had monologues memorized if I had a song to sing I usually had something prepared um I don't think I could do that now my singing voice is terrible um (laughs) (laughs) but it it definitely is a really great process on learning to accept 
that even though you may try your best, you're not going to get it. And I know, <laughs> I know the way that sounds is really harsh. No, but... no, hope for the best, <laughs> expect the worst. Yeah, I, I think auditioning is actually a really great process in learning that for yourself because you could do your absolute best, but you may just have someone who's better than you, who auditioned really well, or who just fits that role better than you. And so they get the role and you don't. And I think going through that process of auditioning, it really teaches you that, you know, it it kind of depends what the situation is, what they're looking for. Um, and so if you are prepared and you are going to do your absolute best, you increase your chances. But you should be aware that it doesn't guarantee that you doing your best gets you that role. And yeah, that, that that's another thing that's always been like, not absurd, but like kind of crazy to process. Whenever you hear about like, like, oh, 500 people auditioned for this role. As a director, I couldn't imagine seeing, like, more than three people read one role. <laughs> if I yeah, ever had to see... after a while. Exactly. Like, 500 people reading for, like, Han Solo. And it's like... Because in my mind, at the same time, it's like there's only, like, one person who could do that, basically. Right, but, but that's also it, because you've seen it. Yeah, exactly. It always affects it. But in in my mind, though, like if I had to see like a hundred people read for trying to think of like the most generic character I could, uh, Nick Carraway. <laughs> yes, okay. hate that character. But if I had to watch a hundred <laughs> people read for it, I would get sick after the first five and be like, that guy did the best job. Yeah, whatever. Whoever is the last person I saw just so I can get this done. No, it's 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 a really trying process. Um, I remember when I was doing auditions for, uh, it was Twelfth Night that I did in college. Um, we basically put up, I put it up because there weren't really that many Shakespeare plays that were happening on my college. And I just kind of, didn't like that so I uh edited down what was originally a three-hour play until a one hour and like 20 minute play um and did my own adaptation of Twelfth Night and the audition process was over I want to say it was two days and originally we had tried to do it all in one night but the number of people who like signed up to audition I was, we had to take breaks. Like we really needed it. We had to stop and go get food. It was like hours and we saw lots of people, lots of really amazing people. And it was a really hard process because there were so many times where I was like, can we just hire these multiple actors? And my stage manager was like, no, you can't do that. I was like, oh, but I really want to. She's like, no, you're, that's not possible. I was like, okay, fine. We'll just have to cut down the number of people it it was very hard because you that that's also the thing is sometimes you tell yourself not to have an image in your head of what you're looking for it's very hard not to do that especially um, if you're you're the writer of the piece also i've noticed yeah if you're the writer of the piece um i think as a director it's a lot easier to step away from that but if you've been it, intrinsically part of the writing process it's very hard to step back and say like oh i i'm looking for something i don't know what i'm looking for i think that's the healthiest way of going about it is having a general idea but accepting that you may not get that exact thing so what what is the next best um or something that you're like oh i didn't know i wanted that 
that's also kind of exciting. That's sometimes why I like the, the auditioning process is sometimes you have an idea in your head and then you see people auditioning. You're like, oh, I didn't even know that's what I wanted. And that is what I want. And I've that that actually kind of happened to me when we were um, going over the spooky one acts la not this past year but in 2019 yeah. i remember us sitting down and i was like i don't really know any of the actors i'm just here for the auditions and we'll see how it goes and i remember uh one of the actors coming up blew it out of the water she was absolutely fantastic i remember i think i turned to you i was like i will fight for her i want her in my show and <laughs> you were like okay <laughs> yeah i was like all right um Okay, and, and then I, I remember telling anybody who came in to read for William Shakespeare, like, do it in a bad British accent, because everybody would come out and they'd read it, like, you know, regularly, normal accent, just play it very big, but I was like, no, I want bad, like, Monty Python accent. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> I want it terrible. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, like I was saying earlier, and that's definitely part of it, is you kind of want to throw people into kind of an uncomfortable like not what they were expecting that like that you want that mindset where it's like oh I wasn't expecting that because it gives the actor a chance to think on their feet and to really show that they can work with something on at the drop of a pen yeah and that's one of the most important things especially in theater that I can recall is like how quickly can this actor recover if something goes wrong or if they have to fix something that happens? Like if somebody reads something out of order or mm -hmm. if a prop is missing, like how quickly can they recover from that? Oh yeah, totally. Totally. That's a huge part. I mean, that's probably like 50% of acting is, Oh, something messed up. Okay. How do we fix it? How do we work with it? Like, <laughs> um, I always joke about that, but it really is what a lot of theater, um, it's just patching up mistakes, <laughs> but make it entertainment. <laughs> exactly. And I always think that those moments make it so much more real where you could go oh, and yeah. see a show on the Monday and then go back on the Tuesday and it will be completely, it will be the same, but it will be different. That is one of the reasons I fell in love with theater and I, I sometimes forget that experience and I remember when I went to go see Sleep No More in New York and it was one of those moments where I truly remembered like how much I love theater and live experiences because it was one of the most pure forms of every time you go it will be a different experience because you may be going into different rooms. You may be following different characters. You may decide to go on a totally different path. So every person who leaves that theater, they're walking out with a different take. They're walking out with, oh, what did you think of that? What did you think of this? And I love that. That's one of my favorite things of theater is dissecting after. It's I love the play itself, but I love afterwards sitting and discussing it that was one of the things I loved the most um when I was in college and when I was um going to see live theater with my parents or when I was living in New York was going to see a show and then afterwards spending like mm, probably an hour or two with a friend or my parents or whoever whoever I went to go see the show with and just discussing the play like, I love doing that. No, and, and yeah, that's what made me fall in love with, like, certain movies or, like, certain storylines where it's, like, the discussion that follows it 
is mm-hmm. normally so much more intriguing than that first watch. I can't think of what the movie is called off the top of my head, but I remember going to see it with uh, somebody I was dating at the time. And by the end of the movie, they were like, I hated that. And I was like, really? I enjoyed it for this reason. And then for an entire weekend, we discussed it into the ground. And they ended up <laughs> loving the movie <laughs> two days after we saw it. And they decided they hated it. That's so funny. It was just like over the time of discussion and, and dissection, it was like, actually, this is a really brilliant movie. Yeah, it was just the story. I, I can't think of what the name of it off the top of my head. Um, oh, It Comes at Night. That's what it's called. And it was like everybody who was in that theater was pretty pissed off with the ending and hated it, <laughs> except for me. You were <laughs> the only like, one who walked away and you were like, that was brilliant. <laughs> exactly. I was like, this was completely misleading and depressing. And now I'm going to go home and read what other people think happened. <laughs> That's, I think, okay, we're totally getting off the topic of audition, yes, but, I, but I absolutely think that this is a really big part of theater that I think people need to take away is even bad theater is good theater. And what I mean by that is you will always learn something when you go see a play. You will learn, okay, I didn't like that. Why didn't you like that? What did you think was bad about it? And that was one of the most important lessons I was ever taught by uh, my second high school theater teacher um, when I was in uh, France. Um, Well, she was my second theater teacher within the IB program. That's always how I think about it. But she um, taught us, she was like, when you go see a show and you walk out of it, don't just say, I liked it or I didn't like it. Why? Why did you like it? Why didn't you like it? What about it made you excited? What about it made you hate it? Because when you ask those questions you learn more about yourself as an artist and as a creator and it also helps you understand how do you try and avoid that when you do theater yourself so that when you're watching a show you're not like oh that's I hate that it's like okay why do you hate it so that you can't replicate it so that you make sure that you try and avoid those pitfalls or whatever they did that you found that you didn't like like there have been times where I've gone to see a show I hated the acting and but I loved the set design And so saying that I hated the show overall would have just diminished the fact that, okay, maybe the acting wasn't that great, but the set was fabulous and the costumes were great and everything about the stage was wonderful. It was just the acting I didn't like. So I think it's, it's really good to allow yourself to, to critique in a way that is helpful for yourself. Um, And I think that's also very important with movies too. I'm sure you do it all the time when you go to see films. Oh, yeah, there's there's plenty of moments where I'm like, oh, this actor is terrible. This actor is flat. That one's overacting. But you know what? Combined, everything else is horrible, too. So let's turn this off. <laughs> but yeah, no, I do see it where I'm like, is this bad direction or is it bad acting? That's something mm-hmm. I always have to look at because in my mind, I'm like, the auditioning process must have been very, very good for such a mm-hmm. high budget and so many eyes to be on this. Like a casting director had to look at this along with the regular director. And then oh. somewhere in between there, it, it just got messed up and twisted into something completely different because I've seen people have really strong auditions but then totally bomb a performance. Mm-hmm. It's that lightning in a bottle, I guess, where it's, it's very much like 
you can be a great auditioner. Like, you could have great job interviews, but you could be terrible at the job. Oh, yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. Exactly. Um, that's actually... You mentioned something, and there was actually something I'd written down that I wanted to ask you was, I know with film, the auditioning process is slightly different because you have casting directors, and those are the people that you're going... You're you're not really auditioning for the director of the film. You're auditioning for a casting director. Am I wrong? Right. So yeah, the way it would typically work in a film, like in a big film, like I always bring it back to Star Wars because I've always seen like all the behind the scenes stuff on that. Like when they were casting Anakin Skywalker for episode one, they had to go through like 500 kids who wanted to be in that role. And the casting director had to take those 500 kids with the various, you know, photographs and like, the designer artwork of what the character should look like and what they should act like and narrow it down to like 10. And then they take those 10 kids and they bring it to the director and the director sits down with them, auditions them and decides this is the one that I want. Okay. So they, they do in the end meet up with the director, but they first have to go through the process of meeting with a casting director. Right. I don't know. I'm assuming that's that's most of the time because the director will have final say, but the casting director is kind of responsible for like narrowing it down from the Mm -hmm. base selection. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I'll be honest with film. That's always my my weakest point when it comes to like (laughs) entertainment stuff. So I was just curious like what the process is for that and how different it is from theater because very often with theater, the director is there. Like the director is at that table. You cannot really have an auditioning process if you don't have the director there because they're the ones who are going to be working with the actors. And yeah, that's that's not to say that's all film. That's like that's one example. Like a lot of times there's certain characters where it's like that's written for this actor, this actor's performance, Taylor made this character or, um, you know, smaller indie films. The director will probably be the casting director as well. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. all depends on the scale of the movie for the most part. Like if you're, for instance, if you're auditioning 500 different people for a role, the main the director isn't going to be the one to sit down and and audition each and every one of those those people for that role just because in with the production of the film you know there's other things to look at uh in addition because you know with theater it's kind of like everything happens in order in a way but film it's Mm -hmm. like anything can happen in any order and most of it's happening all at the same time yeah i think that's the one thing that always makes me kind of like my mind boggle whenever I watch film when it's done. Um, It's just so fascinating to me because so many things are done out of order and kind of done whenever. Um, Not whenever, like there's a specific way that it's done. But to me, it's always so fascinating. That's like, wow, you still managed to get such a good product because it's, it's not in chronological order. And that to me is pretty fascinating because I feel like with theater, we, we kind of have to do it in chronological order. You may rehearse like scenes out of order, but the actual process of doing it is in order. Right. You know what I mean? So it is kind of surprising to me where it's like, it is in order due to editing, but a lot of the filming process of it is kind of done all over the place. Right. So that to me is really fascinating. There's a thing I I like to think happens where it's like, because it obviously happens in film where it's like, in theater, all of the editing happens on paper, whereas in film, it all happens after everything is shot. Mm-hmm. 
which like that that i don't want to perpetuate that nobody ever writes past a first draft when they make film but it's just that's where a a lot of the bulk of a script is changed after the film is shot Mm -hmm. that's interesting yeah it's not the way that we really see because in theater it's very much like once the script is handed in that's that's basically exactly you're not really going to change it um i mean unless you have a live playwright and you might have a production where you are changing it and working on it as you are directing it um but that is very specific and actors need to know ahead of time that that is the kind of production that they're getting into so that they have an awareness of like this script is going to change as you keep rehearsing it um just so that they have that expectation right and there's there's a decent amount of films that do that too where it will there there's a certain genre of film called mumblecore that's actually that's like a really popular indie type of film right now where the dialogue is completely improvised for the most part but there's like there's bullet points that the actors will follow so it's a very different skill set where it's like when you're auditioning people for that it's like Daniel Day-Lewis isn't going to come in and read for one of those characters because no, you want more of an improv actor exactly that's not his skill set so it's mm-hmm. it a lot of those movies are like writer and director like they star in it also for the most part, just because they're getting what they want. But you said mumblecore and my brain instantly went, huh? Because I'm used to, I'm used to mumblecore as like a thing that's within music. So I didn't even know that was like a film style. Oh yeah. No, there's plenty of like films in the last 10 years that have done it. Um, a lot of Greta Gerwig movies are like that. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, they're, it's actually one of my favorite genres because they, they, like with theater, if you watch like something improvised, it's the stuff that feels the most real and human. Yeah, because it's it's just happening. It's it's the closest to real life because in real life we're not working off of a script. We're just saying things. So, it, it I think that's why it's so exciting for theater people to do stuff that is uh, improv based because it is very close to, it's a heightened version of real life where it's like, you're making it up on the spot and it has to work. It's exactly still dramatic, but it, you have to make it work. (laughs) And a a lot of times I feel like that works better almost, but you know, sometimes it's better to have, you know, written dialogue rather than somebody on stage, not knowing what they're saying. (laughs) Oh yeah, sometimes that's also very painful to watch. Um, <laughs> and I think I think going back to auditioning, that's actually one of the reasons why directors will throw things at you is I mean, I mentioned it before, but they are testing to see if you can figure things out on your feet because that is going to happen in a real performance. It's just the nature of theater, something's going to happen and you need to figure it out. So they want to check like can you work on something just with the very few prompts that are given or how do you take what I'm giving you and turn it into something that could work for this character? And yeah, that, that is, that is the best way to describe exactly what I thought the auditioning process was before coming into this too. Cause a lot of times people will see the auditioning process as just being like, all right, look for the person who does it the best. But no, you don't want the person who does it the best, like that will read it verbatim and not be able to make any changes from there. You want that flexible actor, like you were saying. Oh, for sure. Like I could have the best actor ever, but if they're not going to work with me, I don't want that. 
Like exactly. you, you need someone who's able to give and listen and maybe even suggest back. Like those are the best kinds of actors when they're willing to listen and try something and say, Hey, I got this idea. How about this? Um, but also are able to know when you say like, okay, we're going to set it. And they're like, got it set. This is how we're doing it. You, you need that flexibility, but also that ability to say like, Oh, this is what we're doing. Okay, let's go. Like that's, that's super important. And I love the auditioning process. I know for some people it is such a tedious um, piece of the puzzle, but I actually really like it. It's so fun to see how people visit the characters and approach them in very different ways. Um, I find that fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely it. It's one of the most intriguing processes. It's definitely not my favorite just coming from film because it is, like I said, a lot of the times I just take what I could get. <laughs> and I'll try and form a good performance around that. But right, yeah, I, I enjoyed listening to your perspective on that. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, like I said before, and definitely in other episodes, anything about theater is just like I love it. It's so fascinating to me. Um, so thank you everyone for joining us today uh, for listening to Buffalo Ghostlight. We're so happy that you have done so. Um, we are going to be continuing to release our podcast, so definitely list, uh, look out for them. And uh, Zach, do you want to mention Patreon? Yes, you can uh, support Green Buffalo Productions on Patreon. Uh, we appreciate any type of monetary value that you want to give us. We love it all. Uh, we want to create great artwork and specifically promote people from Western New York and have a great time while doing it. We have some awesome radio plays coming up. We have Emerald Terrace and Almost Paradise both coming up, and we are really excited about those. Yeah. So thank you so much, everyone, and have a great rest of the day. Yes. Have a great day. See you next time. Yeah, bye.